Welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. I'm going to talk to you today about a common situation. Maybe you're in it. Maybe you've been in it. Maybe you know someone in it. You found your idea after all this digging in, that idea that's at that perfect intersection of what the world needs, what you're good at, and the idea that's going to bring your life to where you want to bring it. But the question is, how do you actually make that idea become a reality? That's a whole nother daunting task after all this personal reflection that can sometimes actually deter people from really doing anything because it is long. It is drawn out to go from, okay, I have this idea to now I'm doing it. Now people are buying it or now people are engaging with that. And that's where my guest today, Allie Wrights and her organization, MEEP, come into play. Allie, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty well today. How's it going for you? So good. I was outside most of the morning, so I'm feeling very good now looking at my computer. <laughs> well, that's amazing because one of the things that inspires a lot of people to pursue any of these paths is the ability to live the life they want. And you decided this morning, I want to be outside because to give a little detail about the Colorado weather today, it was a very sunny morning and the afternoon is probably going to have a high chance of rain in most places. So that's a, a great way to orient your day. Yes, I'm very glad I did it. So at Meep, you specialize in having someone go from, you talk about from zero to traction, from zero to like where you're actually getting there. How does that process really work when someone comes in? I assume most people that come in are, as I described, people that already have that idea. They've already searched and they figured out what they want to physically do. But now, of course, how to get it from, it's this thing in my head. I think, oh, it'd be really cool to do this for these people to where you're actually getting these people to engage with you. Totally. Like you said, it's a long process, right? And what's in your head is probably not what you're going to start with, right? Mm -hmm. Because what's in your head is probably the big, fancy, shiny awesome version that's going to be version 10 or 20 down the line right yeah. it's going to be <laughs> one way that i i like to describe it or analogy that i like to use is from jeff Patton in his book called user story mapping he describes it really simply which i which i love it's like if you're wanting to solve the problem for people that is getting them from point a to point b and your idea of the solution, right, is is a car. Yeah. You're not going to start with a wheel, right? Because mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily solve that problem for them right out of the gate. And your first objective is to, you know, kind of validate that assumption that you can solve that problem for them. So what his analogy is, you start with a skateboard. Right. It still gets mm -hmm. people from point A to point B. It's a little, a lot more janky than a car. Much, much simpler, much easier to fix and change and add things to. Yeah. But it's still getting them from point A to point B. And the early adopters of it will recognize that and maybe tolerate some of the, you know, maybe wind whistling by their ears while they're getting from yeah. point A to point B. And so that's what we do for people. And that's how we kind of guide founders through that process from going, this is the huge vision in my head, right? Which looks like a shiny convertible car. And that's important. 
that vision is so important because it it's what gives you the motivation to start the thing, yeah. right? Because you can see and taste and smell it and you are the only one who can really see what this vision is. But then what I, I believe it really takes to be an entrepreneur is to hold that vision, but also step back from it and start from scratch and say, if I really want to solve this problem for people, what is the smallest version of that that I can build so that I can start listening to those people that I'm building it for and start learning from them? Hmm. So what we do is first we help them map out that user journey. What happens in that big pie in the sky vision from the time they hear about it to the time they tell their friend about it, right? And all those things that happen in between. And then we say, okay, what are our near-term goals? Because when you're starting something from the beginning, right, it's easy to think big vision. How's this going to scale? How? What are yep. these big numbers? Yeah, all those things. Right? But if we kind of step back and we do a little bit of a shrink test and we say, okay, I'm standing here in six months. What feels like success to me? I can give an example of like, you know, uh, my friend Mike wanted to build a platform that helps small businesses reduce their carbon footprint. Okay. Right. And so we mapped out this big vision of this cool software platform. Right. And then we stepped back and we said, okay, what are our near-term goals here? And we did this shrink test, right? Where it's like, well, in six months, does it feel successful if we helped 10 small businesses uh, reduce their mm-hmm. carbon footprint by 20%? What about two small businesses reducing their carbon footprint by 50%, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what we ended up with, which then allows us to kind of draw a line and say, okay, what of this huge vision is actually necessary to get to those near-term goals? How can we do this once and prove that it's a thing? And his MVP ended up being consulting right yeah. we didn't have to build anything <laughs> to so, test it out <laughs> let's just say consulting is your mvp right mm-hmm. and then of course that could turn into later building a platform or you know whatever else you want to build mm-hmm. you still have to build you know like a, a web page you still have to build something mm-hmm. and that's like another major component of what you do as well as helping uh build those web pages through those like low code and no code solutions right Yeah, there's always some kind of infrastructure that you need to support what you're doing. And like, especially to do that next step, like step one, do the thing, solve the problem for someone or for yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Step two is now, can you do that again? Yeah. Because that's a big assumption right there. Yeah, that's that's another assumption there. I've seen a, a lot of founders have awesome ideas because they had an experience that solved the problem for themselves and it happened once, right? And then it's hard to recreate that, to recreate the problem and the solution and have it come out right. And so step two is re- repeat it. Yeah. And then where what you're talking about comes in is step one, you learn from the process of repeating it. And then you learn from the process of creating a process for repetition. When you do Mm -hmm. it the third time, 
that's where all that infrastructure comes in, where you say, how can we systematize what we just did? We mm. repeated it. And yeah. here's our, all the things that we had to do to repeat it. And now how can we automate those things? And that's where that like scalability starts to come in of, well, now let me try to do this for 10 people. And and what does that look like? And where where does the infrastructure have to change? And that's where it becomes from consulting into a website, like a, into a product. A product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how often do people have to either make significant changes to their offering based on because that first MVP you're you're learning, you're, you're testing mm-hmm. a hypothesis about what you think is going to work, or even completely abandon the idea, which is sad, but I'm sure it does happen. Well, it happens a lot. It happened to me, and it happened to every founder. <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> the cool thing is, like, like at Meep, we consider that a success, right? We've done the thing. We've solved the problem for people. We've listened to the data that comes back. One manifestation of success is, well, we learned that it's not valuable for people. And then we come back to the drawing board. And that's the definition of an entrepreneur, not necessarily just barreling through and saying, well, what if we did this? What if we did this? But actually listening to the people you're building for, coming back and saying, well, if I really want to actually solve this problem for people, do I have to make some hard decisions about what can I take out of what I have built? What is not necessary in here and not building for building's sake, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know a lot of that happens. Totally. And like the statistics are, right? Like the most successful companies have either pivoted once or twice. Yeah. No more or no less, you know? Hmm. Interesting. So there's a balance between being like, this is what I'm building and I'm going to keep ramming it no matter what. And the people that like change their mind every 15 minutes, like, oh, maybe it could be this. Maybe it could be that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I'll make a book. Maybe I'll make a new version of football to be played in Indonesia and so on. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Having a healthy perspective on it and not necessarily second guessing yourself too much where you can trust the information is what's coming back to you from your customers, right? That's yeah. That's the real deal. And there's no sugarcoating the data. Right? <laughs> Definitely. Now, yes. one of the interesting stories a lot of people who are trying to build things look at is uh, Steve Jobs. And one of the things is he built a product for better or worse. I have my own opinions about it, but he built a product that people didn't say they wanted. No one was telling him, oh, I want a little handheld, small computery thingy where not only get my phone calls, but I can like look on the internet at any given moment of the day. He figured out that people wanted that. So what do you have to supplement the data? Because there's a difference between the actual words or the actual survey responses the customers are saying versus what the underlying need is and what you can infer and how you can make these inferences like Steve Jobs did. I love that. It was like what Harrison Ford said, uh, you know, if I would have asked the people, they would have told me they needed a faster horse. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. 
the cool part about being an entrepreneur is that you have this vision that no one else can really see. And yeah. you're starting to introduce that to the world. And I think making sure, and this is part of our why of MEEP, right, yeah. is we believe that, you know, these visions coming through entrepreneurs are coming through from the universe and they're they're amazing and cool and and yeah. our job at meep is to make sure they come through in the most pure form of what they want to be as possible and they don't get muddied up and confused based on the translation process from yeah, the for sure rain to the bean in the world yeah so making sure that the skateboard version of your car is in alignment with that vision and mission of, of the, that problem you're solving with the car, right? And making sure that you simplify the message enough so that people understand what you're trying to do without muddying it up, which is really hard to do when there's so many opportunities and ideas flying at you. And I assume that's like where you first interact with your customers is I have an idea, I'm trying to figure it out. What are the biggest pitfalls that someone can fall into in the whole process of, okay, now I want to get the idea out there? Is it too much input from people, tailoring it too much to the crowd or being too rigid with your messaging? Anything else? <laughs> I think there's as many pitfalls as there are types of people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> as, so there are, right, yeah, as there are number of people in the world because everyone is different i recently met a data engineer who's been mm -hmm. building this really cool thing and he's so into the thing that he hasn't talked to any customers yet you can be on that end of the spectrum and you can go to the other end of the spectrum where you're just talking about it and you never end up doing it, yeah. right? <laughs> I think it comes down to surrounding yourself with the people who complement your strength, which comes down to self-awareness and yeah. may, maybe less screen time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's very important for self-awareness because if you're constantly taking in information from whoever just posted whatever online, you're not really looking into yourself for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And really doing that self-reflection and saying, okay, what are my strengths? And if you Google this, there's so many articles out there and I think there's yeah. more screen time. But um, <laughs> Well, it's, it's intentional, so it's fine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have an answer that I'm looking for. So I'm going to go uh, self-fulfilling like, prophecy it yeah. <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> you know, not necessarily trying to improve but things you know you have weaknesses around and finding people out there who who are really good at these things and not trying to do it all yeah. right like that's the difference between be, being successful and and still being in your garage in your cave right or still being just talking about it right it's saying i know that i need help and it takes a village. So do you often encounter people that don't have that self-awareness that you'd say like, okay, I know you have this idea and you're really like kind of 
thrilled about it, but there's a little bit more of your self-awareness journey that you need to kind of undergo before you actually start doing things? Being an entrepreneur is that journey, right? Like, yeah. That's, it's so clear. Like the more founders I talk to and the more people in this startup world, it's like, that's the, our life lesson that we're supposed to learn is just that what they call in yoga philosophy, right? Like the the observer, you know, Mm -hmm. the step back from yourself and look and watch yourself objectively and be like, it's okay. You're doing so good. And to hold yourself like a, like you would a a friend or a child. (laughs) You're, You're doing great. Now, maybe a little more of this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And one of the ways that we work with our founders on that is, you know, we're we're involved a lot on the strategy side and it almost ends up being coaching type stuff sometimes where we're like, okay, what's what's really the root of this blocker that we keep running into? Right. Are we not necessarily good salespeople? Yep. Right. Some people aren't. Some people aren't. And if you're trying to go out and sell it and the first two rejections you get trigger some real emotional response in you, that might be a sign that you you might need to go find someone who's who's experienced in sales and doesn't have that reaction every time because you're going to burn yourself out so fast. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. One of the tools that we use is we do a vision mission session with our founders. And I don't know if you've heard of this Simon Sinek video where he draws the circle. The three circles. Yeah. The, yeah. the golden, the whatever. I don't remember what it's exactly Golden circle. Gold, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, why, how, what? Getting clear on that why and the how is so important because then when you go talk to people and you go find these people to help you, you're speaking from your real reason for doing it. Yeah. If you, you're finding people who connect on that level with what you're doing. So really understanding and that, that why helps you to say, okay, if I'm, I'm really passionate about this, right? Like, yeah. Or you realize you're not, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like it can, it can happen. Right. Totally. Or you realize the reason you thought you were doing it or the reason you were telling people you were doing it isn't necessarily the real reason you're doing it. And if you continue down that path, you'll find yourself two years from now over here and your actual vision and passion for it, your why is over here. And you're like, why don't I care about my business anymore? You know, or why do I have the wrong people? For instance, this developer guy, right? He's building this really cool platform that's going to make a lot of social impact. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about it like, you know, I'm building it for this this underserved group of people, right? Yeah. And at the same time, he hasn't really gone and talked to those people. He's been nerding out on building the cool thing, you know, which, which is an amazing proprietary software in itself and so asking that hard question to say am i building this for those people or am i building this to innovate technology wise you know yeah. 
and it's totally fine. But recognizing that that's your why can save you so much heartache in the long run where you were forcing yourself to go and be this philanthropist and, and you know, go yeah. in that direction when really you just want to nerd out with the cool innovation, innovation people. And that's awesome. I think society has like a script that it tells a lot of people what you're supposed to want, what you're supposed to be about, what you're supposed mm-hmm. to be motivated by. And not everyone is motivated by those things. Not everyone's about those things. And so it seems like there's a level of self-acceptance that people need to have when they come up with their why, like the world says you should be, you know, wanting to to help people when like, maybe you just want to like build more cool shit and which people need to like, I don't know, be confident in a way. I'm just saying like, it's okay that this is what I want, even if mm-hmm. that is, is not what those other people say I should want. At the end of the day, the secret sauce of your startup is you. Yeah. Right. You you can build all kinds of stuff. What really makes it different and what's really going to connect with people is that why is that that unique thing that's trying to come through you and nobody else can take that away. There could be five people with that same why across the world. And there's an abundance of, you know, there's more than enough to go around and it's all good. One thing I always say is I've actually interviewed and been on other very similar podcasts to mine with a very similar idea of trying to encourage people to live their best lives. And we don't like see each other necessarily as rivals. We see each other as like both being on the same journey. And part of it sometimes is that sometimes what you're offering resonates with a different group of people than what one of the similar products is offering for one reason or another, sometimes reasons you can't even really like articulate in words in your head, but just like, okay, that other product just resonates more with those five people or those 50 million people, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Yeah. It would kind of suck if yours resonated with five and theirs resonated with 15 million, but you know, Yeah, I mean, there's the way like, the cookie crumbles. <laughs> yeah, there's like there's like this ultimate level of like maybe a little bit more detached thinking that says like, well, even if it's just 50 versus 15 million, it's still significant for the universe. But then again, everyone's still got to eat, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's, a, that's another great point because like there's this combination of, yes, this is my calling and this is what's coming through me. And this is a way to do it that's sustainable. But there's this Venn diagram that kind of shows that this is what I do. This is what the world needs. This is what can actually make me. (laughs) Yeah, you want that intersection of those those three things, right? Like what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, what the world actually will pay for. Yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we talked a lot about that with, with my clients too, of like, how are we going to monetize this in a way that's in alignment with the the why and the mission? Because you're uh, monetizing in a way that incentivizes you to build value for this other set of stakeholders or customers when your real vision and mission is with these people over here. Mm, yeah. You end up away from your why too. So. It's, yeah, finding that being really intentional at the beginning 
to set yourself on the right path or I like from wild. Did you ever read that book? The Cheryl Strait? Yeah. Yeah. I think her mom says it, but it's like, put yourself in the way of beauty. I love that phrase. Mm. It's like, set yourself up in the direction where you know it's going to be aligned. And then did you have a similar story yourself with kind of finding the intersection of what the world wants, what you want, what energizes you uh, when you decided to pursue MEEP? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I made that mistake with my startup that I had and I wanted to connect yoga teachers with local businesses to Mm -hmm. make the yoga classes more accessible. So it's not in a yoga studio, which is kind of scary for people to walk into. But what I built was a ticketing platform. And that incentivized me to have the people sign up for the classes rather than incentivizing me to help the teachers connect with the spaces. And so oh yeah. Right. Like building, building, building. And I ended up far away from my actual vision and mission for it. So with me I'm being very intentional around like what I want to do is help the vision come through the founder in its most pure form that it can in its simplest, purest form. The founders are paying for it. So that's good. So Meep is almost a result of the lessons you learned from your first business. And I think it's a good attitude to point out for anyone listening out there that's looking into starting their first business that even if your first business doesn't work or maybe it doesn't work, but maybe it's what informs the next one or the next one after that, Mm -hmm. that eventually is the one that does the thing that you feel like you're supposed to be doing in life. Yeah. That comes back like full circle to what we were talking about before with it is considered success to us. Like if we find out that this isn't a viable business, Right. Because the world needs entrepreneurs. Yeah, for sure. The world needs entrepreneurs to be happy and to be doing things that are sustainable and that they can actually make a living doing and have that awesome ripple effect in the world. And if it means that you learn and you move on and you maybe even join another startup and and learn from that. Yeah. Yeah, use everything you learn to help that awesome startup do amazing things. Or you start another company. It's all success. It's all just the next thing. So you don't think of your yoga ticketing thing as a as a failure. You think of it as like a success on a way to like a bigger success, essentially. Yeah, and I feel like the fail fast and forward people would argue that, yes, it is a failure. And we can call it a failure and not be afraid to call it a failure because failure is just one part of the journey is one step on it, you know? I think that would be easier for a lot of people to comprehend if we weren't given 17 years of education where we were (laughs) trained to, to the worst thing you could ever do to any course is fail it. Yes. It's still good. You know, like I missed one question on my driving test, which was... Two people come to this to a stop sign at the same time. Who gets to go? Yeah. You know, and the answer was, and I put like one of them waves the other. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
I guess the answer is that the person to the right gets is the right of way. And I will never forget that answer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like, but the, the things that where you fail, sometimes the most important learning experiences in your life that you won't forget and that you are meant to go and teach other people how to get through that. <laughs> well, yeah, because you remember the answer to that question on the driver's yes. test more than like, yeah, I think I remember an episode of the Simpsons where Homer was taking a driver's test and there's a question like alcohol, a increases your ability to drive a car, B <laughs> decreases your ability, you know, some, something like really basic like that. And somehow we got it wrong because that's how that show the thing you're remembering is the thing that you had to like, adjust a little bit, I guess, you know, the same way, like when you think about, you know, why you built Meep and, you know, what you're structuring, you're basing it around like the system that you created with the first business and how the, the system incentivized you to start serving the wrong purpose or, you know, mm-hmm. like the wrong metrics in a way. It becomes this living, breathing thing. If you let it come through and you let it be what it wants to be, it's, Meep is already morphing and it hasn't even been a year, yeah. right? It's We're launching our first launch academy, which will help teach founders how to build their MVPs themselves with no-code tools because that's mm-hmm. what people have been asking for. So yeah. it's like, wow, maybe Meep ends up being this more scalable national international accelerator-ish program that helps founders build their own stuff and takes them through that zero to one process. And it started as a freelance business with just me. Now it's a an agency type deal with contractors working and then maybe it'll look totally different, you know, in a couple of years. But letting yeah. it evolve how it wants to evolve, I think is super important. I think one of the things you see is why businesses hit a wall because, you know, you start out, you have a system set up for a certain point, whichever, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, it works for a little bit of growth, a little bit of growth. But then no matter what the system is, you're eventually going to grow to a spot where you have to change some things up. You have to rethink from things. Some people exit before that or, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs) I mean, you know, if you can get a good good price tag on it because people who exit I notice they have like usually like six to 12 months where they just kind of like do whatever they want until their next idea comes so <laughs> and they spent all their money that they made <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> something like that but but yeah like that whole rethinking to to the next level so when you're mm-hmm. working with your with your clients with your founders do you often have this idea of like how much do you want to scale because some people are like I just want to establish a, a lifestyle business where I can work, you know, 10 hours a week whenever I want from wherever I want because I'm going to automate things versus the people that have this like big idea that I really want to have this big impact and I want it to grow, grow, grow because I want to change the world mm-hmm. for lack of a non-cliche phrase. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that even the smaller, non-scalable brick and mortar businesses are changing the world, right? Yeah, for sure. And that is one one of our big core values at Meep is we don't just work with unicorn format startups, right? Like 
with the yeah. potential to become scaled billion dollar companies because we really do believe that any idea can can change the world it's trying to come through it's trying to help solve problems for people right and, and it may turn into one storefront that does a thing and that that's totally cool right? it, may, it might turn into one product that gets manufactured and there's a finite amount of those you can make you yeah. know and yeah something yeah yeah it's not gonna 100x or whatever you know everyone's looking for yeah but the, there's so much great information and, and studies out there now around this and showing that you know actually like the zebras <laughs> zebra yeah. versus unicorn are the ones that are gonna last longer and be better for the planet and for people because they're they're at this really nice sustainable growth rate and it could start wanting to be a solopreneur business it could stay like that for 20 years and then all of a sudden you read the e-myth and you go whoop and you (laughs) you speak processes and you you know then you sell it big time so there's like like I said before, it's a living, breathing thing, and it's going to take on whatever form that it's meant to take on as long as you listen to the feedback that you're getting and um, follow the growth, follow where where energy is moving and things are happening and not let yourself get stuck in that stale place. So does that hard. take some flexibility, right? Because mm-hmm. like... I'm sure everyone has that big vision in your head. You can even picture like what you're doing, where you're doing it, who you're doing it with. But sometimes that's going to change a little bit, you know, based on some of that information you get. Sometimes you realize, okay, this isn't my core target. Maybe these people, or maybe it needs to be presented a little bit this way, or maybe it's going to grow or scale or whatever in like a different fashion than what you had envisioned. What's that balance between being flexible, but also still being true to that initial why that, you know, everyone has? What's that balance? That's being an entrepreneur. Yeah. So that's what the, that's what that is, is finding <laughs> that balance, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the spirit. That's the gift to say, okay, I've got this, I've got this thing coming through me. I'm going to cherish it and, and keep it as pure as I can while listening to my customers and not being afraid to go back and start from scratch. When I'm starting a company, whether it was my audio business or my startup or Meep, it's like an exercise in patience and doing things over and over and over again, (laughs) going back to the (laughs) grind, right? And like, that's like such a great skill for an entrepreneur to have is like, letting go of that ego that's in the like that sunk cost fallacy oh yeah oh i put so much effort into that one thing i really believe in the power of like as soon as you let that thing go that's not working what where you're not finding growth and you're not seeing energy moving when you let go of that you're creating this vacuum which is like you know then in a Taoism, like the empty cup, oh, right? yeah. Whereas, which is even cooler than the full cup because it's, it contains emptiness, which is full of potential. And there's 
so many wonderful things that can then rush into that space that we're just waiting for space to rush into. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so having the courage to say no and move forward and step into an empty cup, an empty space yeah. full of unknowns is it's so scary, but it's such a crucial skill for an entrepreneur to have to say, yes, I acknowledge that is not working. I'm letting it go and I'm stepping forward. Almost like a Indiana Jones stepping yeah. forward and the thing appears under his foot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. It also reminds me of like one of the things that does keep a lot of us uh, addicted to screens, addicted to mindless scrolling, mindless email checking, internet site, whatever, is that sometimes we don't even know what we're going to do right now. Right. So sometimes you're just sitting here, you just finished a task. Maybe you're like a little bit too exhausted to like think, what am I going to do next? So you're like, okay, well, YouTube will always entertain me. Twitter will always entertain me. But like, what would happen if you just said, you know what, I'm done with what I just did. I just finished, you know, say recording a podcast and I'm just going to sit here and do nothing for a minute and let whatever's going to come into my mind. That would be magical. Yeah. There's magic in the spaces of transition. Can't remember if it's in, in the big leap, uh, Gay Hendricks or, um, there's a book called effortless yeah which is by the same guy as essentialism but it's like using taking advantage of those transition spaces like i finished a task it's time for another task not just moving straight into something but letting yourself just be and maybe taking like three deep breaths and just saying i'm just gonna be in this space and and even more you know, practical version is like, okay, now I have to drive to somewhere. So using, not necessarily checking your phone the whole time you're driving or something or, you know, but just being in the driving and letting it, letting yourself have that transition. Ah, so nice. And so your website is um, meetmeet.io. Is that correct? Yes. (laughs) And is that the, is that the best way anyone listening could get a hold of you if they're uh, yeah. interested yeah there's a bunch of buttons on there and they'll all take you to schedule a meeting with me and i'd love to talk to you about it, your idea amazing and mind if i ask which no code solution you use to build the website <laughs> <laughs> i use books that's one of our go-to ones for websites I'm a designer and I think that way Wix is more like a design feeling. So. Yeah. I guess they all have different like strengths and weaknesses, right? And you probably know mm-hmm. better than anyone else because someone could look at like all the different, you know, Weebly, GoDaddy, Squarespace, anything yeah. else and just be like, what do I do? Well, that's a big part of what we, we do with founders is like making sure we do the thinking around refining the scope and the feature set of what their first version is going to look like before we choose which tool to go use, because there's a reason you would go to Squarespace. There's a reason you would go to Shopify for your website, if that's what makes sense for your business. Right. And so it's not necessarily from, 
form versus function, right? Like you don't start with the tool, you start with the function. What what are you going to do with it? And then that's how you make that decision. And is there ever a case where, not to go against uh, one of the core principles of your business, where you recommend like, okay, what you're trying to do is complex enough that you should hire a developer? The only time when I truly believe that that's necessary for the first version to approve your assumptions is is when what you want to build is a proprietary software, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, if you're innovating in that space, then it makes total sense to have developers using fully coded, you know, framework for for what you're doing. In general, I feel like a lot of startups the software is just supporting that pure essence of of the person and the why. And there's plenty of tools out there it, rather than reinventing the wheel. Um, but if you're if you're building a wheel, then yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's definitely times, especially with like databases, where you need backend developers for sure. Well, mm-hmm. it's wonderful what you're doing because I think. A lot of people are inspired by wanting to build a business, whatever their idea is, whatever their why is. And for the vast majority, like building the prettiest looking website is probably not their core why. Otherwise, they would be, you know, front end web developers. Right. And so (laughs) (laughs) it's wonderful. Uh, Thank you so much for um, describing your journey, how, you know, your first idea that didn't exactly provide what you wanted. Um, Careful not to use the F word again, but I'm so proud that I failed in the entrepreneurial world. It's actually like a badge of honor. Like I failed, like, you know, startup week, everyone might as well have like a bumper sticker that said I failed six times. And, and it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like having hail dented cars in the storm chasing community. It just really shows that, that you've like been roughed up a little bit by, uh, whatever you're doing, but so your first failed business, but how the lessons you learned, like really inspired the business that you have now that you're building traction with. And, um, also how we can all go about, you know, really kind of starting from like, when we have the idea, starting to actually get moving on it, because I think there's a lot of resistance there. There's a lot, there's a spot there that keeps a lot of people stuck where they are in life. That spot, like, okay, I have this great idea, but now what? oh my God, this is so daunting. So one of the best things you can probably do is talk to people, you know, talk to people in general, talk to your customers, talk to people that can help uh, contact Allie at that meet meet site. (laughs) And talk to other founders, right? Because they've been through it before. And a a lot of times it's not necessarily the daunting task entrepreneurs love hard stuff to do yeah right like it's more of the scary psychological aspect of oh shit if i actually did this thing then it'd be out there and then people yep. would see it and people would judge it and i might fail and that's where a lot of that like self-reflection work comes in to really ask yourself are you willing to put because it's you, yeah. you're, you're putting yourself out there and you you can't get around that. <laughs> you are. And and I think uh, also most people who um, built something 
had the experience of having an anxiety event about that. I mean, mm-hmm. just because you like had one night where you're like preparing to put yourself out there and you're like, I can't sleep. I'm having trouble breathing doesn't necessarily mean you're not prepared to do it. It's just because you told someone about it and they didn't like the idea. doesn't mean that it's not a good idea. And oh, keeping, just, yeah. One person's <laughs> opinion, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> exactly. Well, Allie, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes and um, telling the story. And I'd also like to thank all the listeners out there for tuning in to this episode or any of the other 94 episodes before this and um, encouraging you to hop back on. I mean, yeah, we're going to get to 100 pretty soon. So (laughs) yeah, I'm going to hop back on um, and encourage you all to tune into more episodes for more inspiring stories about people who've uh, pursued their true passions in life and have some uh, insights about how you could kind of, you know, overcome whatever barriers you're trying to overcome and, um, get into, you know, the life that you truly want, because, you know, it's there if you're willing to like overcome some things, look deep inside yourself and, um, you know, put in some, put in some effort. (laughs) Thanks so much, Steve. It's been really fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And um, everybody have a wonderful day. 